Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. As we have already heard and sung together, today is Pentecost Sunday when the church celebrates the Holy Spirit coming down and dwelling in and with God's people. So this morning we're going to take a short break from our sermon series on the life of King David to explore the meaning of Pentecost for people like you and me. And we'll do that by reading about a vision that the prophet Ezekiel had about 600 years before Jesus' birth. Ezekiel lived during a time uh, when the Babylonian army had scattered God's people in exile far away from their homes and their families. They were weary, to say the least, out of hope that God would do good for them. And so God gave Ezekiel this vision to take back to his people. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to read to verse 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over the bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinew upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesy as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there was sinew on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to them, prophesy, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is God's word given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would breathe on us and that you would bring life to those places in our lives that feel dry and lifeless and at times hopeless. Father, would you revive us? May you do this for your namesake and so that we may know that you are the Lord, the giver of life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, anyone who has spent time with children knows uh, that they are masters 
at asking really tough questions. For example, one of my kids, when they were in preschool, asked me, Dad, how did they get the people inside the TV? And I was like, good question. Uh, this led to a follow-up question. Dad, if, as you claim, the weatherman is a real person, how does he get the power to tell the weather what to do? Now, up until this point, I had never imagined how strange the weather channel would seem to a little child. who was both trying to figure out how a person could shrink to get on TV and how the weatherman could, be so, com- could so confidently say that it would rain on Thursday at 3 p.m. Now, as cute as these questions are, they are also really complicated to answer. And I think the reason is because you've got to start way at the beginning with something foundational like how video cameras and satellites work, which, by the way, are really difficult to explain to a child. Well, in our passage, it's Ezekiel who's trying to make sense of a complicated world. And from what Ezekiel and God's people have seen in exile, most of life looks like heartache, loneliness, disappointment. And God is the good parent who is saying, Look, there is a piece of the puzzle that you're missing that makes all the difference in your understanding of what all of this means. Let me show you. As we read in verses 1 and 2, the Spirit of God shows Ezekiel this vast valley, the site of a battle that has long passed. And it is a wasteland filled with bleached white bones. And God says to him, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, for church-going folks, we know the answer is supposed to be, yes, God can do anything. But for Ezekiel, he knows that this is not a theoretical question. God is inviting Ezekiel to take a look at his own heart and to take stock of where he's at when it comes to hope. You know that hope is necessary to human life. It is essential to human life, but it is also risky. Because to hope, to allow ourselves to hope, is to open ourselves up to both desire and the possibility of great disappointment. See, we all know that when we allow ourselves to really hope for something, and it doesn't happen, the loss feels way more substantial. And that's why I think many of us spend so much time doling our desires that we don't actually make much space for hope. And so I think this moment affords us the opportunity to take stock of our own hearts this morning. Think about it. Where in your life, where in your life makes you say, I'd like to imagine something better for myself, but I don't know if I can risk hoping for it. Maybe your hope after this COVID season is to have deeper friendships in your life. Maybe it's to have a partner to share life with. Or maybe it's for a season of rest where you can be and feel lighthearted and not carry the weight of so many difficult things. Maybe that hope is to live in a place that feels like home. So Ezekiel answers God honestly. His own story is so full of tragedy and loss that he's never seen anything like dry bones coming to life. And frankly, he's not sure if they can. 
And so the answer is, oh, Lord God, only you know the answer to that. In other words, I don't see the way forward, but I'm open. And God says to him, preach to the dry bones. And so Ezekiel stands in this this vast graveyard, and he preaches to these lifeless dry bones with as much passion as he can muster. And as he's preaching, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together into complete skeletons, and then muscles and skin formed to cover their bodies. The bones being brought together here is a reenactment of the opening pages of the Bible, where in Genesis, the Spirit of God is hovering over the darkness and the void, and out of nothingness brings order and beauty. But though these human bodies have been put back together, they aren't yet alive. So God tells Ezekiel to prophesy again. But this time to say to the breath, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Now the Hebrew word translated as breath is the same word for wind and spirit. That is God's spirit. And the commonality amongst these three things, breath, wind, and spirit, is energy. It is vitality. There is an invisible energy that makes the clouds move and the branches sway, a vitality that allows us to draw in breath. And this energy, this bringing of life, is always the work of the Holy Spirit. And now God has invited Ezekiel into the process of creation as a life giver through preaching God's word. And as he's preaching, the wind or spirit breathes on the bodies and breath, again, spirit, come into them and they lived and they stood on their feet. What a striking image. And what Ezekiel sees in this vision is the thing that is meant to make all the difference in his ability to experience life with hope. And that is the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. And what Ezekiel saw God do in the valley, God says he's going to do for all of his people. He says in verse 12, O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. And I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done this. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Now fast forward 600 years to the day of Pentecost. And what we see in Acts 2 is God making good on his promise. As we heard in our New Testament reading that Ben read, The disciples were gathered waiting for instructions from Jesus. And while they were together in a uh, locked, dark room, the sound of mighty wind came and blew in the room, and what looked like tongues of fire came to rest on each of them. And unlike Jesus, who is limited by his humanity like we are, to a particular place, in this moment, the Spirit of Jesus comes to permanently dwell with and empower all of God's people at all times and all places. Moreover, the same spirit that spoke encouragement and hope to Ezekiel in exile, we see here beginning to reverse the curse of displacement and disconnection. 
You see, the reason that so many Jews spoke different languages was because of their great-great-great-grandfathers and grandmothers had been exiled along with Ezekiel. And so there were pockets of Jews dispersed all over the known world and could not speak with one another. But now, in the Spirit, the curse of Babel is being reversed. And the disciples find that they have the ability to share the good news about Jesus' resurrection in languages that they have never learned before. And through the Spirit of God, he is bringing scattered people together into one family. And as you read through the book of Acts, it is the Spirit that gives them courage and creativity to build a new community called the church that was life-giving and countercultural. I mean, where people were all of a sudden free to give cheerfully so that the least among them could be fed and clothed. Where those with no social standing were honored and respected. Where Gentile and Jew, women and men, old and young, poor and rich, worshipped together and called each other brother and sister. And church, when the Spirit comes to make his home in us, he does the same thing. He brings life. This is his job description. And it's what we affirm when we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Church, this is the breath of God, the creative power of God that energizes us to love God and love our neighbor in a way that has echoes of Eden. But I know for some of us, when we look at our lives, the reality is that when we look at different places or different pockets of our lives, much of what we see is dry bones. There is not much evidence of life there. Our lives feel bogged down by difficulty, for some economic stress, fractured relationships, professional disappointment. Well, a few weeks ago, Rich and I uh, watched a documentary that I have not been able to stop thinking about, and it felt to me like a small picture of what we all need the, the Spirit to do for us. The documentary is called The Biggest Little Farm. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It chronicles the eight-year quest of John and Molly Chester as they trade in city living for 200 acres of barren farmland and a dream to harvest in harmony with nature. The land they buy in California has been overfarmed and is completely barren. There is no water. The bees have died. They can't even give a, get a shovel into the soil. It is so rock hard and depleted. It can't support a blade of grass. And man, they have their work cut out for them. And as we watched this documentary, we couldn't help but get caught up in the hopefulness and long for the goodness that they were working towards, for life to sprout up from the ground, for goodness and fruitfulness, for there to be shalom. And along the way, their mentor and expert in traditional farming makes a prediction. And it helps them keep moving forward when things seem impossible. He said, after seven years, you won't be alone. After seven years, you won't be alone. 
meaning this work will be fruitful. It will, be, it will bring people into their life. It will bring life into the land. It will be a flourishing ecosystem. You will have so much life going on that you will not know what to do with it. And yet, church, isn't this what we all long for? So much goodness and flourishing that we don't even know what to do with it all? But if we are starting in the place of dryness, where do we go? What do we do? I think we are to take heart. We are to take heart because we have a God who knocks down locked doors for a living. He, he bursts through dead ends that we cannot see through. But he will not disappoint when we ask him for imagination and hope to see his spirit work this kind of abundance in our lives. And I think we're to start where Ezekiel does. He, by acknowledging the reality of where we are at. Also, opening up our hands and saying, God, you alone know what you can do. I am open. My heart is open to hope. And you, you, we will know when he is answering our prayer. We will know because we will hear a sound. There will be a rattling in our lives. There's movement. There are signs of life, however small that are beginning to sprout up, there is a quickening. And we only have to pay attention. We have to have eyes to see and ears to hear and step in the best we can to participate with the Spirit as we notice His work in, uh, in and around us. Like John and Molly Chester on their farm, we will find that we are not alone. The Spirit builds a community, and He invites each one of us into it. Jesus' resurrected life includes a whole family that comes alongside us to nurture the life that is sprouting up. And we get the privilege to nurture that life that we see in others sprouting up. And then the Spirit comes, and He does what He does. He begins to revive in us what makes us most human. Communion with God, communion with one another a home that we can cultivate, a place in his family, life that is truly life. And right now, the Spirit is still hovering in dark, barren places, bringing life out of deadness. Jesus' resurrection kicked off the new creation and his Spirit created a new community. And right now, Jesus is working in and with us with the energy and power of his spirit so that we can make his kingdom, his kingship a reality here in this place, in our broken city, in our weary world. But church, here's the question that we must wrestle with. Here's the question that I leave you with this morning. Will you ask him for the hope and the courage and imagination to trust him to do his work in and through you. Will you ask him? Amen. Let me pray for us.
Father, on behalf of your church and on behalf of everyone here and those who are watching this morning, Father, we ask you to come to bring life where we only see deadness, where we see dryness, to revive us, Spirit. To revive us, to help us to see what you are doing, where you are at work. And Father, would you do that so that we might proclaim your kingship in this world, that you are the God who is alive and is bringing life and you're going to remake this entire world. And we get to participate with you in doing that now by the work of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.